and welcome to the Readings Podcast. I'm Judy Mitchell and today I have the great pleasure of introducing Bob Murphy, who'll be talking about his memoir. It's called Leather Soul, a halfback flanker's rhythm and blues, and is published by Black Ink. Known for his silky skills in both attack and defence, Bob played for the Western Bulldogs for 17 years and was their captain from 2015 to 2017. In 2015, he was named Captain of the Year at the AFL Players Association Awards and was also captain of the All-Australian team. The following year, the Bulldogs won their first premiership in 62 years. Bob has regularly written for The Age and his first book, Murphy's Law, also published by Black Ink, is a collection from his much-loved weekly newspaper columns. Bob, thanks so much for coming. It's brilliant to have you here and a special treat for me being a Western Bulldogs supporter. We find each other. Thanks so yeah. much. Thanks for having me. Nice it's to chat. really fantastic. Um, congratulations on the book. Thank you. I laughed, I cried, every emotion in between and I think it's incredibly honest and you really feel as though you're riding all the bumps and scrapes and highs and lows with you. Um, and it's not just about football, but it's also a story about family, about love, about friendship, music and so much more. But above all, I think it's just a terrific yarn. So thanks. It was a great read. Oh, thank you. Well, that was always the, the, yeah, the aim was always to write a different kind of footy book. You know, I, yeah. I didn't have the career of, you know, the, the, the top champion. So it had to, it had to look different, feel different, different structure. And I, but I just wanted it to be a bit more than just just the game I like I'm as interested in the things around the game and yeah. the people and then I'm just about the marks kicks and handballs yeah and that really comes across in the book very much so um I'd like to start by asking how the project got off the ground and writing a book is an enormous undertaking especially when you're juggling a family and career so yeah. um, what was the process like for you and and how did all that happen uh the process the process was kind of a mix between sort of catharsis and sort of picking a scab. That's how I would sort of describe it. It was a bit of both. But it was – I sort of wanted to do it from a long way out, really. It didn't, wasn't an idea that just sort of, oh, and, and now I've got yeah. to the end and now I'd like to write a book. It was okay. because I've got – having written for The Age, um, gotten to know a few of the writers and uh, Peter Hamlin, who was my editor, and we, we just right. always sort of talked about it and then – Within that circle of friends, I get to become, you know, quite good friends with Martin Flanagan and yeah. those sort of uh, people. And I was just encouraged to write a book. And so that the plan was from a long way. It was, oh, it would be good to write a different kind, a different kind of footy book. That was yeah. kind of the the mantra. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. Just sort of, I just sort of pieced together different ideas okay. and just sort of chipped away. So it's been in the making for quite a while. Okay, right. And you decided to put it out sort of at the end of you. Career yeah, well, the, the, the initial the initial idea was, which I became chained to for a long time, was to have it the a memoir and a diary. It was always I always wanted to be a memoir and a diary, so that it yeah. would just immediately be different to other footy books. It was much about originality as it was about anything else. But the idea was for the diary to be of the last year. Okay, I, I just always had sort of found that interesting of players or anyone really when they get to the end and the letting go of things and yeah. I just find that an interesting story yeah uh, but the football career just sort of kept going sort of really inconveniently in some ways <laughs> so the last year was like it was, it was like four last years so, yeah, but yeah. then it kind of made sense to have the diary as a captain's diary of three years where really that's where the story 
is... And that's why you divided the two yeah, sort of parts of yeah, the book. Yeah, so and, and it was just a way of sort of keeping light on its feet and said, I just, I couldn't have written a book of, it's now 1991 and now yeah. it's now August 99. It's like, you're, you know, just yeah. I'll be bored <laughs> doing it, you'll be bored reading it. So well, just, you're a born storyteller, so I mean, it makes sense to sort of do do it the way you yeah and it, 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 and it just made it easier for, for for motivation it was like what were the what was the idea that day or that week that sparked enthusiasm in yeah. me and so I would write about that and then and the diary was just something just to tick along so with. were the diary entries were they things that you'd actually penned yourself or was it a, a reflection it on was notes at the time so I kept right. notes of the time but there was even whilst it was happening I knew that there were the moments that felt important yeah. really relevant I thought that's it that, that'll be in that'll yeah. be in whereas you know training on a Tuesday we're not really much at something that's probably <laughs> well the prologue yeah. yeah yeah I mean the prologue is gut wrenching that, yes. that part um, but um, and well Western Bulldogs will under you know understand what I'm saying once they've actually read that yeah the more um, the but then all of those cool. entries through those three years of your captaincy are, are really enlightening for a lot of people that don't really know what's going on in, in the background. Yeah, I, that's, I hope so. That was, I still kind of, you know, I've always felt there's a bit of a bit of a blind spot in a footballer's reality to mm. what we kind of see and what yeah. that is. And often players, we're, we're not particularly good at explaining that ourselves. Yeah. So I, I kind of wanted that to explore a bit of a bit of that blind spot and that really comes across too and especially in that chapter where you talk about um the characters that you loved playing with yeah. and and I found that really interesting partly because you know I think the game has um a, as it's grown more professional it's the distance between the players and and the public is is quite which it's is getting in, bigger. Which is interesting, isn't yeah. it? I mean, because there's so much more access, and as we know, and every player's got a Twitter account and an Instagram account. Yeah. Yet, yet we don't, we don't necessarily feel like we know more about, or you get the real. And, and I was always offended by. I still am that. Oh, there's no characters left in the game. Yeah. I was always like, that's not true. It's just that the characters in the game now or the ones that I've witnessed who you know are larrikins or eccentric characters yeah. they're just not necessarily the extroverts that yeah. want to sit on a panel show and express yeah. themselves in that way yeah yeah, um, yeah. That, that but there are you know these characters in the in in, in this book and yeah. in the locker room that you know highly entertaining and then that chapter was a bit of a cheat really <laughs> and it came out of a um, sitting around having a drink with Martin Flanagan and I, he, I would just tell him stories of yeah. blokes I played with yeah. and he would like but that's got to be in the book but yeah, they're not yeah. my stories so the, the team just became a, a structure of getting 50 little stories yeah really it was i love that chapter it made me laugh so much There's it was really well it things. was yeah. i think it was probably it's probably the longest or the biggest chunk of writing i did in one sitting and yeah, it was yeah. because it was so much fun to write yeah, yeah. it's just a, is there a, a couple that people you'd like to mention uh yeah well I, I think the ones that i think capture i mean shane biggs who's still playing and he publicly yeah. a really low profile yeah and he's um you, you know, you won't you won't see him pop up in mainstream media and doesn't no. do long form interviews. And but he's a he's an eccentric of the locker room and yeah. and a, just a total original and a classic. He's just a character. Yeah. And, and my life, I probably wouldn't have got to meet 
spend time with someone if it wasn't for the yeah, game. So okay. to spend time around here. I mean, I only got half of the jokes that, he, <laughs> and he talks in a kind of pidgin English. Right. That's I'm not even sure what it's combined with, but he he's the one I that springs to mind when people say there's no characters left in footy, so you just need to spend ten minutes just observing a yeah. Shane. And, and the other, like the other one, I mean, they're all great in their own way, but. Uh, I think of guys like Ed Barlow and Ben Harrison, who again they you know wouldn't be household names, no. but they just and we have these people in our life all the time in the office or but yeah. in football clubs there's always someone who's just got funny bones. It's not necessarily what they say; it's just how they say it or their expression or the, and they just make people feel yeah. good, and that kind of is part of the energy that keeps a footy team bubbling along yeah. because so much of it is just repetitive and routine that you need those sort of characters just to sort of keep you keep you, keep you giggling along yeah, keep you sane keep you sane yeah. they do they, and they have a and they have a knack for sort of cutting through a lot of the sort of the the, the jargon yeah um just going to the start of who you are as a person um you grew up in Warrigal with your parents and older brother and sister and doing the usual things you would do going to school yep playing footy, going to see your beloved Richmond, play with your dad, um, hanging out with friends and things. Um, And you had a kind of freedom that I guess is is rare these days. Yeah. Um, Uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah, and I I think part of that was mum and dad both worked full-time, so... Um, I mean, there were rules. I've got to be careful because Mum will read this. She goes, you know, there were, you know, they were probably thinking of themselves as quite strict. So there was, there was rules in the house, and yeah. you know, certainly we were pretty well behaved kids. But there was, it was the eighties, and I, I just went, I would just jump the fence uh-huh. on a Saturday morning and go looking for something to do. Hop on my bike and go off with a mate, or just by myself and ride around town for the awesome. whole day. And come back at seven o'clock at night, and don't want to. It wasn't a big deal. It was. <laughs> Walk down to the, sh- the 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 local shoe shop. It was Robbo's Sportswear, and I would just look at the the sh- different shoes because I was obsessed with you know, <laughs> basketball shoes. It was just it was just a, I don't know. I, I look yeah. back now, and I I sort of th- you know having children of my own now, I kind of I get these little twinges of um, I feel like they're so they we keep them so sort of cornered and. Um, helicopter parenting. Yeah, heli- and you try, try, you try not to be. And yeah. I, I do. My my oldest boy, who's ten now, when he was about six, he said to me that because our family still lives in the country, he said, "Oh, mum, oh, dad, when uh, when we're in the country, your backyard's the whole world, and when we're in the city, your backyard's the fence." Mm. And I just remember being quite heartbroken by that. And yeah. So we've moved to Northcote, which is kind of like a halfway house. It's kind yeah. of, it does feel compared to the inner inner North, it does feel like a bit of a country ranch out there. But that's okay. Yeah, and what um, what about how you met Justine? And that's that really is it, it's a, it's almost a film in itself. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a it's a book of two love stories, uh, the football and, and Justine. Yeah, only football broke my heart. Um, we met so I was a grade six, but my mum was the year seven coordinator, and there was the year seven disco social right. thing, and so I just naively thought I'll go along because mum's the teacher <laughs> and that'll be okay. And I saw Justine, and it was, uh, uh, it was if love at first sight, but I was twelve, so it it was something, it was something yeah. infatuation at first sight. Yeah, Let's yeah. we'll just downgrade it to that. <laughs> but I was I was sort of start, you know, just struck by her and sort of built up and sat next to her and and 
and sort of building up the tension. And she turned to me and I thought, oh, this is getting handled. What are you going to do? And she said, what are you even doing here? <laughs> like, and Not I, that. I describe, it, <laughs> I describe it as that, you know, that perfect mix of, you know, this beautiful girl who who looked and carried herself like no one. She was gorgeous and she was a bit mean to me. That's kind of, that's the holy trinity. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Being a little bit mean to you. Um yeah, so we were kind. Of, we were we weren't a couple in school, and we right. weren't a couple. We were we weren't a couple until much later. But we were always something else. We were we were very close, but we weren't. Mm, kind but of, you had a feeling that there was yeah, that I, was going I, to be something. I think we both kind of had a, uh, which we only talk about now. Mm. We, this wasn't something you talk about at the time, but no. that we thought eventually we'll, we'll we'll probably end up together. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um. When you were drafted to the Western Bulldogs, you were still a teenager. Mm. And as well as adjusting to leaving the security of home and living in the city and the excitement and rigours of training in a professional you know, football club, you also yeah. had to complete your <laughs> year 12. Yes. How was that? How did you manage juggling It was all really of that? difficult because I was done with school. I mm. was really... I mean, I wasn't a particularly good student before that anyway, so and I was always like, oh, I'm going to be a footy player one day. And when I was one of those annoyingly sort of you know, up himself kids. Oh, I'll be a footy player one day. So then when I when you actually become a football player, I, was like, I told you, <laughs> school, school. That's not for me. That's for everyone else. I'm done. But I, as much for mum and dad, I think probably I've got to at least pass. I can't. Failing yeah. <laughs> year twelve would be really. But to actually complete it was really difficult. I didn't have a license. I didn't know anyone at the school. I didn't. My my motivation for being there was pretty low, yeah. and I was I was in a, my, my life had moved on. You know, right. I was in a professional environment. Yeah, yeah. I, I was in a professional environment. I was not professional. I was trying. To, you know, <laughs> that was an adjustment in yeah. itself. But it's it's hard as it was, and there was parts that were. I, I was, I was loving it. I absolutely. I, I'd always wanted to get out of Warrigal, so I was in Melbourne. I was living in this, mm. the whole world had opened up. I was at a football club. I was the kid six months ago who was collecting footy cards. Then you're on a footy card. It was yeah. a great buzz. It wasn't. So riding my bike to school and then to football training, it wasn't, I wasn't sort of dragging, dragging my ass there. No, it was I, like every day, every day was an adventure. Yeah. I was up for it. Even, even the hard bits, I was kind of ready for, up for it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, there are a couple of episodes early in your career that I sort of marked in the book um, to ask you. Um, Firstly, um, sort of both of these are, are instances that have sort of stirred something new in, inside you as you're sort of growing up through your career as an AFL player. Um, firstly, um, a night out with Nathan Brown in your second pre-season. Yes. Um, and the second one was when you were representing Australia um, for the International Rules Football Tour. Can you yeah. talk us through both of those events and yeah, how they well, changed at, you? Well, they're at such impressionable time of... Your life, I think it would have been nineteen, between nineteen and twenty-one at the time, mm. still sort of, you know, growing up and becoming a man and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I went and had uh, one of the, you know, he was the older teammate taking me under his wing. That's one of those classic sort of stories. Mm. And we go and sit at the bar and have a few beers. And it was at the Napier Hotel, which is not far from here in Fitzroy. And it was just one of those things. I just walked in and I felt like, oh, I think these are my people. This is kind of what I've... I didn't know that before. You know, I didn't know what I was really... You know, I think this might be sort of my people. And they're, called, you know, they're playing some music on the stereo, which I just immediately felt. And then I knew the Rolling Stones. Yeah, right? I was yeah. aware of the Rolling Stones and all that. 
and I said, oh, who's that? It's Exile on Main Street. And it just you just feel that little click of like... And so uh, I didn't go to university, but I kind of began this unofficial study of rock and roll music. Yeah. It just sort of kick-started that side of my um, life, I guess. Yeah. And then going to Ireland to play um, in the international rules. I mean, I, I'm a Murphy. I, I, was, I knew I was Irish. I was a pretty <laughs> naive kid. I wasn't that naive. I knew that we had Irish history but there wasn't we weren't I wouldn't have just thought we were particularly Irish at home but in hindsight we probably were quite you know there's some leanings there okay but it wasn't until our bus pulled up at the ground and these kids started throwing rocks at the <laughs> at the bus it's like bang 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 these and I looked out and there would have been six or seven of these kids aged between six and twelve and every one of them could have been me <laughs> I thought oh, you know I thought geez I am Irish you know they were, yeah. I was everywhere whereas before I just hadn't and then that sort of that opened up a whole other thing as well of, oh, God, this, this... I felt... It sounds... I sort of say it with a bit of sort of I'm careful, but because you do sound like a bit of a, 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 bit of a, a, bit of a wanky tourist. But I, when I'm in Ireland, I do feel different. I feel yeah. like there's a part of me that does feel like it's home. It's another place where you feel you belong. Yeah, I felt... Yeah, I feel like I'm amongst my people there, which yeah. is quite an unusual... It's a feeling that caught me off guard. I wasn't... So I, I didn't want it to be that. No. I wasn't, I'm going to Ireland and I'm going to find my people. So, like, no, that's, that was, thought hadn't crossed my mind. Yeah. I was just going on a footy trip. And have you got plans to go back there? There's always plans yeah. to go back, yeah. <laughs> sort of trying to organise a way to get back there yeah. or take mum and dad back. Or oh, brilliant. That, that, would, that would be, be that, that would be the dream, yeah. Yeah. Um, you had an absolutely amazing career at the Western Bulldogs and spent 17 years under four very different coaches. But when Luke Beveridge joined the club at the end of 2014 and you became captain, something changed at the club. Can you explain what that was and the effect that it had on... I can try and explain, but I can explain one slice of the mm. whole pizza wheel. I think there's a lot of so many different things. But part of it was... Part of it was a desperation that the club, the club had been plunged into crisis mm. only a short time before, and the thing which I think separates the Bulldogs from just about every other club is that when there is a disastrous season or a crisis, the the reality of survival appears. Mm. So it that's the, the the situation can get quite desperate. Yeah. Um, and with the public sort of falling out of the previous captain and coach, Luke and I had to make it work. Um, it just it just so happens that it, it worked quite easily that mm. we bonded almost almost straight away. But we had to make it work. And he's just a coach that um, I felt, and I, I had great coaches, and I was had good relationships with all of them in different ways. Yeah. But uh, there was a there was some a different kind of connection between Luke and I that he's he's kind of different to everyone else I've ever met in footy. But he had a um, he's he's a deep thing, but he's got a romance and a wisdom to him that I hadn't really seen in football before. And he's got right. balances that out with you know he's very sharp. He's a sophisticated football person. Yeah. But it was balanced out with storytelling and symbolism and just stuff that I love about football. Um, so we kind of hit it off and. And the and the team kind of just fit that just just things fit for 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 a while there of 
we're all sort of you know headed in the same direction and yeah. and to the surprise of everyone including ourselves probably we were a pretty good footy team as well and it kind of set fire yeah yeah so it seemed a sort of serendipitous that yeah, all of these, as Martin Flanagan says, you know, a wink in the universe. As it soon really, as Martin described it's, the title, encapsulates that called, whole... when he said I've called the book a wink from the universe, I was like, oh, that's it. It's perfect. And that's what it felt like. It, it wasn't a thing of, in retrospect to go, oh, it was. It's like, no, it, it felt like that at the time. Mm. It's like this, the, the team wasn't on paper. And that's why now the dogs are struggling a bit on the field now. And we're trying to dissect it all on paper so you know the age demographics and football analytics so you didn't you're forgetting that it wasn't on paper yeah when when we were winning and you know, that wasn't how it worked it, it felt very much from the gut mm. yeah and during that time too you asked bulldogs great terry wheeler to come in and um, talk to the players because um, you had when you were in the team in 2003, he'd come in yeah. and made a speech and it seemed to make a big impression on you. And Why did you ask him in to talk to the current well, group Well, yeah, he, I mean, he'd spoken to the club 15 years or 14, 13 years before to agree, and it just hit home with me about what it meant to play for, which is a sort of that's a, a theme that, you know, goes. But it was more than just what it means to wear the jumper and play for the club. It was about position, what the... What, Footscray meant to the city of Melbourne and the western suburbs mm. and what that meant compared to the rest of the league. Oh, I just love that. I, I love anything in football where it's us against them, that yeah, tribalism, yeah. gang, even if it is bullshit. <laughs> I kind of, like, if it's a placebo, well, sign me up. I'm, yeah. all up. I'm all up for the placebo. But I, after the four losing seasons and a young group that were... Bru- there was a playing group that was very bruised, a lot of losing sort of written off, ignored by the rest of the football world. We were kind of embarrassed and I wanted to bring um, some dignity back into just what it meant to wear the jumper until we became a good team again. How long that took, I wasn't sure, but we could feel good about putting the jumper on and bring some pride back into the place. And I just thought, oh, it'd be great to get Terry Wheeler to come back and speak to these young guys. But in the back of my mind, not knowing if this, you know, these young kids, if they would get it, but I think it really hit. I think it really hit them okay. in the right spot. Like yeah. Quite, for yeah, are they millennials? But I, I find I found them to be <laughs> yeah. quite quite sentimental in that. Yeah. Regard. Well, they also, I guess, millennials also sort of, you know, they music wise, they they hark back to mm. you know their parents' music and things. That often they're not sort of listening to stuff from their own. No, from that's, their own era no, that well, that, that's definitely to... me. But yeah, so Ter- and Will, he was the best. Terry Will is the best football orator I've ever sort of, I've ever sort of sat and listened to. Okay. And it was just, it just, I that stuff is a bit like the space between the spokes on a wheel. That there's so many spokes in football of stats and structure and all that stuff. But there, there is still so much about the emotion and storytelling and. What, what the great what the biggest story is and who, who, who you are you know where you've come from all that sort of all mm. the, I just think that's the good stuff that nourishes a football team and a club yeah is it important with recruiting that you um, get players that are suited to, to a particular club I don't that's a great question I don't know if that would be taken into consideration I've never thought about that yeah because sometimes, you know, it makes sense that a club would 
sort of look at players that would be a good fit for the you know the history and the culture and things of of the club rather than just you know bringing in a you know somebody from the Brisbane Lions or without sort of understanding where they come from and maybe I mean Hawthorne do seem to have a lot of tanned handsome players don't they that look like they could just walk (laughs) down Glen Ferry right maybe that's why they ignored me at the draft (laughs) not for us skinny little freckly thing well, you ended up at the, the right up, club I for you. I think I ended up at the right spot. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've formed some very special friendships over the years and I'd like to ask you about the one that you share with author Martin Flanagan. Um, how did you meet and what part has he played in your life since? Uh, he was... Martin... It goes back quite... A, my mum and dad knew Martin's mum and dad. I didn't know that until yeah. many years later, but there was a... A loose connection, but they they, yeah. they knew of each other from a long time ago, spending time together in Alice Springs. Um, and mum and dad had always encouraged me to read Martin Flanagan. That's the only thing I can really remember them in, like encouraging me to read. It was like, oh, right. you should read Martin Flanagan. You should read Martin Flanagan. Whereas mum and dad must have made, they must have known I had a leaning towards. Yeah. So I always loved his writing, and I always just wanted to meet him. And then as soon as I wrote for the Age. Maybe that's why I started writing for the age. It was all just a ruse to get to, to, get to find out. And, you know, you, you just meet some people and you, I just, you just know you'll hit it off with them. I kind of yeah. felt like that with Martin. Right. Um, and to have, your, to have your heroes as your friends is kind of a really precious thing. Um, and it's what, still one of my favourite things just to sit with planners wherever and ask him a story, tell me a story, just listen yeah. to his stories is kind of... Um, so the book is about trying to impress him as much as anything. Do you think he did? Don't well. He wrote the foreword, he so did write the it, it must have you know. He didn't hate it. <laughs> I think he. I, I think. I, I think he liked it. Yeah, amazing. Um, Paul Kelly, also another one of your sort of special friendships, uh, and one of your many musician friends. Um, you've even been his assistant coach for yes. the SB Rock Dogs in the community. Sounds quite official, that doesn't. It's <laughs> probably it's probably overstating it a little bit. Um, but there's also a couple of other musicians whose friendships came about in rather an unusual way. Um, something to do with your footy record player profile. Yes, well, uh, quite next door to readings at Tiamo. But a, a friend of mine, uh, Gus Agars, who's a drummer for a lot of different bands currently Marlon Williams um, oh, wow. and but he's been a drummer for Tex Perkins and Paul Kelly and lots of the Vanders all sort of yeah. and uh, he, so he was my mate and I, you, you're asked to fill out the footy record every year and you know you dreamed in a guess and you know trot out the usual names or whatever <laughs> um, and I was like no, I had a bit of fun this year knowing that Gus would read the footy record and I thought like, Gus Agars Tim Rogers um, and Tex Perkins because uh, I'd, I'd already met Paul he was sort of like, I hadn't really spent any time mm. with the other two right. and then I got summoned to dinner at Tiamo by Gus and he rang Justine saying he, he must you know <laughs> I know you've got little kids and he won't go he must come to this dinner I was like okay so I went along and then of course sitting at the table is, is the, the three of those guys so I I got to live that you know I actually got my dream dentist <laughs> So I think that's almost got to be history making. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine anyone else who's had their their dinner their dinner guests 
happened. Yeah, and we broke bread together. Yeah, amazing. And it was great. It was good. It was fun. And since then, have you sort of? We've had we've had a few catch ups, and there's there's always a plan for another one. But we've had a few um we've had a few dinners and right. And you had text recently on your yes. Freedom in a Cage podcast. Well, no, I had it on the Fox Footy Show. Yeah, oh, on the Fox, the Fox Footy Show. Yeah, on the Fox right. Footy Show. Yeah, where we sat down and had a drink and talked football stuff and. Yeah, he's. They're just. They're just interesting, articulate. They're, they love their football. You know, mm. that's a. That's sort of been a, a thing with the, the all the musicians that I know. They've all got this deep love of the game, and um, so, uh, which is, you know, I always kind of find that fascinating. I'm. I'm never quite sure who's, because we ask each other, you know, different on the field and on the stage and. Uh, but sort yeah. of we just go sort of trade for stories. Right. I, I, I try and take them onto the field and they try and take me backstage pretty much. That's how. That's the sort of shtick. That's a good relationship. It is good. Yeah. Transactional. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess while we're on the subject of music, um, I'm wondering what song or songs hold special significance for you, you know, a special occasion or maybe your 300th game playlist. Yeah, well, that's... The, the one that does spring to mind, uh, which they asked me to put together some songs for the 300 games. I was there. Yeah, right, which yeah. was sort of played on thing. And it really, there wasn't that much thought put into it other than just, you know, um, I tried to put songs on written by the people who might be there, Paul and Tex and those yeah. guys. But I put Thunder Road in there. It was kind of my oldest favourite song, really, um, the, the Springsteen hit. And they played it at... I was listening to the coach. It was three-quarter time and the game was quite close and the Thunder Road came on and I actually got quite emotional, oh. which, again, that kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't why I was... Well, I was just trying to, you know, pick songs that, you know, thinking you'd be in the crowd game. I knew you'd like it. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah. yeah, UMI, tick. Yep, yeah, pull. Yep, yeah. yeah, okay. Sort of tried to play to the cliche of what those songs might be. Yeah. But then Thunder Road came and I actually got a bit sort of choked up and mm. had to kind of gather my thought thing of we've still got to win this game of football. <laughs> but it's just such a... I'll probably listen to that song more than any other song on the on the set in the, yeah. in the shuffle. Yeah. In the catalogue. And you're also a big fan of Exile and Main Street. See, I read your footy player profile. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's just that it's you know those you just keep I just keep coming back to it and I just find I find the backstory fascinating. Mm. Um, I just think it's the Stones at their their very best. They've got all, so, so all just about all of their styles in one in one album. It just kind of captures a perfect a yeah. perfect time in music. And the title of your book, Leather Soul, is there a music related sort of angle to that? Because I know the Stones were called Plastic Soul for a while, which is. You know, which is by you know black people's kind of blues, if you yes. like, for, well, for white people. There's that, and then there's the Beatles. The, there's the Beatles, Rubber Soul. I liked it because it sounded more like a album than it sounded like a book title. Um, it's a little bit pretentious, which I loved <laughs> that as well. And then I also kind of loved the thing because this is a bit of the yo-yo of confidence of of writing a memoir like this. You know, there are t- when you when you're on a bit of a roll, you think this is this is going to be great. You know, I really mm. want to do something, put something great out into the world. And then in the next day, you're like, it's as common as a, the bottom <laughs> of it. It's as common as a basic pair of shoes. Just mm. another just another pair of school shoes with a leather sole on the footpath. That's all it is, just another book. So it was kind of, I like that, that it was a yeah. bit, there was some grandeur to it. 
and then a bit like it's just a leather sole, just like a thousand other pair of shoes. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. There's also sort of, I guess, the, the wearing of a, you know, the leather of Yeah, a and the football, and the, so your football sole that over time kind of took. So it, had, it kind of had lots of different, and it just sort of sounded cool, give it a good font. And everyone will get a different meaning from it yeah. as well. You know, your music friends will sort of get the... Get the Beatles and well, Stones I even, reference. I must, I even, so you, you know, you put it out. This is how the this is how the world works now, isn't it? Where you put anything on social media and you get an extreme positive and extreme <laughs> negative response. And the first negative response was all leather products are cruel to animals. I thought, <laughs> for God's sake, we can't, I can't even use the word. <laughs> and then Davy Lane, who you know plays guitar for UMI, he just wrote back. Um, Love the Beach Boys Pet Sounds font, and I that was total accident. I didn't, re- I didn't, I hadn't realised that. No, I didn't realise that. No, either. and I, and then as soon as you, you know, when you hear something, you're like, oh, it is. I did. I hadn't, I hadn't tweaked on that, so that yeah. was a nice little surprise. Just yeah. Offset the damage to the <laughs> the other. <laughs> There's so much more to talk to you about, but sadly, I've only got time to ask you one more question. Um, people will just have to read the book to get more information. <laughs> That's right. Last question um, seems quite appropriate given you, Justine, and the kids have been regular readings customers. Um, and the reason uh, we ask this question, obviously because it's a bookshop, so we'd just like to ask, what are you reading now? <sighs> I, I feel like I should... I, the temptation here is to like, oh, I'll come up with something a bit better than that because I have to be, have to be honest, don't you? Yeah. I've not read any Tim Winton books, and I've just, but I've just started reading Breath, so that's oh, wow. kind of, so I'm. I've got to get that off my chest. Yeah. I, I can't give you a cooler answer, and I have to shame. <laughs> I have to publicly shame myself by now saying that I've not read. Perhaps you know who I'm told is probably our, you know, the, one of the nation's great storytellers. But I'm reading Breath, and I'm, you know, classically four four pages in, and like I'm in. Brilliant. Yeah. Great to hear. Well, I guess we've just got to close off now, unfortunately. I've really enjoyed chatting with no, you. No, likewise. It's Thank been you. amazing. And um, just need to let everyone know to buy your book. Buy two. You always <laughs> need a backup. <laughs> um, so you've been listening to Bob Murphy discuss his fantastic new book, Leather Soul. Both Leather Soul and his first publication, Murphy's Law, are available from all reading stores. You can stream previous episodes of the Readings podcast on our website, readings.com.au, where you'll also find news, reviews and interviews, as well as information on our current book, music and DVD releases. You can even sign up to our newsletter, The Readings Monthly. Thanks for listening.